0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in B.C. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We've got a terrific Monday morning show for you today, including noisy neighbors. We'll tell you the story of the Langley, B.C. couple who fought back against their noisy neighbors and their high-end, high-decibel stereo system. I have Canada's former ambassador to Russia on the show today. What? what a great guest he he will be. We'll talk about the dramatic events in Russia over the weekend. So we have all that and lots more. But first, uh, we talk about the decriminalization of drug possession in British Columbia and some of the impacts of that. 2.5 grams. That is now the legal possession limit here. Heroin, cocaine, crystal meth, ecstasy, fentanyl, 2.5 grams you can legally possess now in the province, only province in Canada to do that. Lots of, this is interesting now because lots of different municipalities are saying, hang on a second here. This is creating problems in our community with open drug use in public and parks and playgrounds. And we see more communities now bringing in local bylaws, including Kelowna. I spoke to Kelowna Mayor Tom Dias about that on an earlier show. Let's listen
1: it's safety for um, you know some of our most vulnerable which are the children within our community there are areas that were already put into place with regards to elementary schools um, and uh, and daycares and airports all we're doing is just you know broadening the scope a little bit.
0: Okay, Port Coquitlam, set to be the next municipality to bring in local restrictions on public dr- drug use. To be the first municipality in Metro Vancouver to do that. Let's check in with the Mayor, Brad West. Very pleased to welcome him back. Mayor West, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. Okay, so let's talk about this situation. This is a bylaw that's set to be in front of City Council in, po- in Poco tomorrow, is that correct?
2: That's right, yeah. Okay. Tell me all about it. Well, this has come forward because uh, our folks are on the ground, on the front lines. Our bylaw officers are finding that uh, they are running into increased open drug use uh, in parks, in playgrounds, in public spaces. And uh, previously, they had uh, authority to be able to deal with that uh, because we do have an existing bylaw in Port Coquitlam that prohibits uh, the use of drugs in these places. But uh, the reality is that when the province went and made uh, the changes that they did with respect to decriminalization, uh, it has created kind of a, um, a bit of a, a limbo that we're in, uh, where right now our bylaw officers don't have uh, the authority, don't have the ability to deal with it. And so by strengthening the bylaw with some amendments on Tuesday, uh, we're going to give them the tools that they need to be able to deal with an individual who may be using fentanyl or crack or heroin or what have you uh, in a public space. And as you played the clip from the mayor of Kelowna there, uh, the reality is that when the province did this, they already thought about certain places where this shouldn't be allowed. Schools, childcare facilities, very obvious But what was missing is other places where, you know, families, children in particular are gathering. And, you know, I'm sorry, you can have all the compassion in the world, but it's not acceptable to have that sort of activity happening in children's playgrounds. It's just not. I mean, it's pretty simple, I think. Uh, And so we're going to take that step in Port Coquitlam i suspect other cities throughout metro vancouver are also going to look at it uh, and hopefully what happens is the province actually steps in and broadens out the areas where uh, this is prohibited
0: yeah i think that's long overdue i think the province should have stepped in here a long time ago because this has been going on for months now have you what have you been seeing in port coquitlam like what reports have you been receiving from from bylaw enforcement offices officers are they seeing more public drug use in the city?
2: Yeah, I mean we're very fortunate that it, it's a rare occurrence. We, you know, we don't have a, a huge amount of open drug use, but we also want to make sure that it stays that way. Uh, it's important that our parks and playgrounds remain places for families to gather, uh, for residents to gather, for for kids to have fun, not have to worry about being pricked by a needle, not have to worry about coming into contact with fentanyl, which, by the way, just coming into contact, physical contact with fentanyl can kill a child. Mm. I mean, it, it is an incredibly powerful and, and incredibly dangerous drug. Uh, and so we want to stay ahead of the curve. By-law officers have reported that they have seen uh, an uptick in use again thankfully for us it, it's still relatively rare but again it's about staying ahead of the curve and and yeah. doing quite frankly what should have been done from day one which is to say there are some places where this is just not on
0: okay so the places we're talking about here that are of, of major concern we're talking parks playgrounds right and did you also say public public spaces what would public spaces so what would, that, be in, would be what would be included in that
2: that would be like our facilities, like our recreation centers, um, our outdoor pools. Uh, again, the places where you can reasonably expect uh, residents of the community to to come and gather. Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, all of those are places where people shouldn't have to be giving a second thought to, you know, coming into contact with um, you know, uh, very powerful and dangerous drugs. Yeah. What about
0: outside of someone's home or business on on the sidewalk
2: sidewalks are also included wow okay that would be captured in this as well again this for us this is an existing bylaw um and so we've had this in place for a number of years and and it's worked well it's provided our bylaw officers and in some cases police the tools they need to get the job done Uh, And so, you know, let me be clear, it it has not been the case for a very long time that police are going and arresting people for uh, possession of small amounts of illegal drugs. But what they have been doing in the past is saying to either, in some cases, taking the drugs, um, but also saying to people, you can't do that here. I'm sorry, but, you know, you you can't uh, sit and... uh, you know, uh, inject heroin in uh, in a public park surrounded okay. by children. Um, and so that bylaw uh, and the law as it used to stand was used to deal with those situations, real situations that people encounter on the ground. Sometimes I hear, you know, these almost academic type arguments uh, that probably belong in a university classroom about well, how this should all work. But the reality of what people are actually encountering in our communities is much different. And so, you know, that was a tool they used to deal with real-life situations that had to be dealt with. You can't ignore them. You can't just, you know, say, all right, well, that's just fine. Uh, You have to deal with them somehow. And so that's what what's happening before this bylaw will now allow us to be able to deal with those situations so how,
0: how would they deal with that so let's say you've got a business owner in Port Coquitlam after this bylaw comes into effect someone is using drugs in, in front of their store they could call a bylaw enforcement officer and yep. they would and, and and what would happen
2: so they could call bylaw enforcement officer bylaw will come tell the individual that they're not allowed to uh, use drugs In public spaces, Um, either that person's going to comply. If they don't comply, the bail officer has the ability to escalate that. The RCMP.
0: How would they how would they they escalate it? Give them a ticket.
2: Well, uh, a a fine. Yeah, you and I both know that. You know, for some individuals, giving a person a fine uh, doesn't do a, a heck of a lot. Uh, yeah. They could involve the RCMP. The RCMP have more power than our bylaw officers, obviously, to be able to uh, deal with those types of situations. The RCMP police in Port Coquitlam are empowered to enforce our bylaws. And so um, if the situation were to come to that, we would. our expectation will be that they will enforce our bylaws.
0: Let me play a clip here for you from Premier David Eby. Port Coquitlam would be just the latest in a series of municipalities expressing concern about this and bringing in local bylaws and public drug consumption after drug possession was decriminalized in the province. David Eby knows all about this. Here's what he had to say on it recently in question period. Let's, let's listen.
2: Our government is treating it
1: seriously uh, with a commitment through everything we do to work with partners To address any unintended consequences, our government will work with uh, local government partners to make sure that those protections are in place. Nobody wants this activity uh, our kids, and we will do something.
0: Okay, we will do something, and you hear the opposition kind of beaking off at him there as he says that. I mean, Brad, this has been going on for weeks and months now. What's the delay? What? What? Have you heard anything from Victoria on this?
2: Uh, No, nothing other than what the clip you just played, Mike, and what I've seen in the media, which is the provinces, they're working on it. Um, I think they got to work a little bit faster. This is the type of thing that should have been in place from day one. If you're going to go down this road, and I know people can have different points of view, and there's a debate about whether they should, but if they were going to go down this road, they obviously put some thought into it because they said, look, what are the obvious places where this should be prohibited? Schools daycares airports okay why not you know why the miss on other places that are just as obvious right yeah so i don't know if this the rush was on to get this done um or what it was but the reality is summer is here our parks and playgrounds get very busy kids are out of school uh they're being active outdoors that's what we want that's what i want as a as a parent I like to get the, our kids outdoors and being active. And they like to Yahoo around with their friends in the summer. That's what being a sure. kid
3: is all about. Right.
2: And so what a darn shame. <laughs> I'll use that word that we, we have to be worried about this, that, you okay. know, the city is in a position where we feel we have to take this step. And this isn't okay. something we just invented. This is because our people on the front lines dealing with this every single day, say, Hey, we need some tools to be able to help us deal with these situations. And okay, as we're, mayor, my yep. job is to give them the tools to get the job done.
0: We're following it closely. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me, Mike.
0: Let's talk about the dramatic events in Russia over the weekend, this short-lived rebellion by mercenary commander Yevgeny Prigozhin. At one point, it looked like a full-blown civil war could break out in Russia. Then a deal was brokered. Prigozhin turned his troops around. I've got Jeremy Kinsman standing by, Canada's former ambassador to Russia. First, let's listen to this report from CBS News.
4: The world watched minute by minute as the Wagner Group, soldiers for hire fighting for Putin in Ukraine, turned on Russia's military. They started advancing into Russia, gaining ground toward Moscow. Yevgeny Prigozhin, once a close friend of Putin's, leading the charge. He was enraged by what he says were Russian strikes on his troops in Ukraine. But almost as suddenly as the advance started, the mercenaries began retreating. They backed down after a deal brokered by Belarus.
0: All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Jeremy Kinsman, Canada's former ambassador to Russia. Jeremy had a a long career in the Foreign Service. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Jeremy, thank you for coming on today. Hi, Mike. Hi, thanks a lot for doing it. It's great to have you on again. And when these events were unfolding on the weekend, I, w- I was thinking about you on the weekend and and wondering what was going through your mind as you watched these incredible events unfold. What did you think of the whole thing?
3: I thought, Mike, um, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Scott Fitzgerald, uh, one of his short stories. I think it was, it was the snow was Hemingway, the snows of Kilimanjaro. One of the figures in it was asked how he went bankrupt. And he said, at first, slowly, (laughs) then all at once. And uh, this seemed for a moment to be the all at once part, you know, about Putin. Uh, He's been there for 23 years. Uh, He was enormously successful because he brought uh, the Russians out of the chaos of the 90s. When ordinary life was pretty well wrecked uh, because it was so difficult to transform the society into a democracy and a market economy and all of that, and uh, he promised to deal with Russians that he'd give them security and stability, right. and and then one one day uh, prosperity, and and he became very popular because he did that. He got the prosperity in part because of oil and gas world prices, but but they felt that. He, he had achieved something. Then he began to try and sell him on something else, which was kind of national grandeur, you know, a back to the past sort of vision of imperial Russia. Mm-hmm. And people kind of, well, they sort of went along with it. Most people weren't nuts about it. They didn't feel it. They felt European, but it happened. Now he's blown it. And it, it was really... A question of time before they figured out they were being sold a bill of goods. And what this guy Prigozhin did on Friday, he said, he said the words that no one dared speak out loud because it was against the law, you'd go to jail. He said the words, This is a war. This is mm-hmm. a war. And then he said, It's a fraud. It didn't have to happen. There was no threat. And that Putin was fooled by the generals. And I guess what I thought when I heard that was, wow, this guy's figured out the public mood right now, and he's getting ahead of it. He's going to be on the right side of this, how it comes out. So I think that's what happened. And uh, I don't think he uh, really thought that he was going to go all the way to Moscow. He thought he was going to provoke a confrontation and a confrontation by the public with the truth that the country was being run incompetently. And I think that's not gone away in the last 24 hours. I think that that truth has doubled down, and that in kitchens all over Russia today, that's what people quietly, because you still can't say so publicly, that's what people are quietly saying to each other.
0: Speaking of this this Pergosian guy, this character, Jeremy, that I think a lot of people are just learning about for for the first time. So part of this deal is he goes to he goes to Belarus. Uh, this is kind of weird. Like at one point, Putin was saying this guy was a traitor. He was effectively public enemy number one in Russia there at one point. Then they do a deal where he's allowed to go into, into Belarus into some sort of exile like. Is, is his life, is, is Putin going to rub this guy out now? I can't imagine they're just going to hug it out now and they'll be friends.
3: Uh, oh, no, no, you're right. Look, you got to go back a little farther than, than what he was saying, Putin was saying on Saturday morning. This guy he was calling a traitor and a tremendous menace and that he was going to be published. This is the guy that he'd been trying to say to Russians is your hero. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, Prigozhin, who has several talents. He's not a nice guy, but he has several talents. One of them is theatrical. Uh, He played on that, and he has become a kind of a live-action hero in Russia, partly because he's against the establishment. Uh, He's played it being against the military establishment. And Mm -hmm. One of his motives for doing this was to prevent the military from absorbing the Wagner group that he runs the private army, which actually isn't private. It's something that Putin set up against the military. Uh, the other reason he was doing it, that was prominent, was I think he genuinely believed the state had already tried to kill him in the last two weeks. They attacked his, his headquarters with gunships, helicopter gunships. People died, 12 of his guys died. And uh, uh, so he decided to preempt that. And the best way of preempting that kind of an attack is to kind of change the subject by uh, starting one yourself. Right. And, uh, and Putin backed down entirely. Uh, he was uh, seven hours after he made that speech about how terribly he was going to be punished. The Kremlin was then putting out the word that, oh, no, it's okay, uh, uh, we'll <laughs> let this go by, uh, all, it's all right, uh, they they won't be prosecuted. So yeah. Prigozhin, about two hours ago, I mean today, two hours yeah. ago, put out an 11-minute uh, statement in which he said he had no regrets and no remorse, and he's not taking anything back. So there you are.
0: Would you say Jeremy I speaking to Jeremy Kinsman, Canada's former ambassador to Russia, how badly does this damage Putin? Like certainly Putin was humiliated and embarrassed here on the weekend, but does this does this really damage him? Could this be could this be the beginning of the end for Putin?
3: No question. No question. I'm not going to predict uh, how long that's going to be, but you know when it happens as I said at the outset, it can happen very very fast. Yeah. Uh, look, In uh, uh, 1991, when Mikhail Gorbachev, you and I are old enough to remember the coup attack on him, uh, and uh, he emerged uh, shaken, but safe. And the public, his popularity at that time was very, very down. He got a a tick upwards in popularity to lasted a couple of days. But then it sank like a stone and Yeltsin took advantage of it and moved in the point of it is is that that happened that sudden decline happened because he looked wounded he was hurt Uh, he had seemed that he wasn't in control and that's how putin looked on saturday morning when he gave his speech to uh, the nation and i'm sure it's how he looks now and once you're wounded once you're wounded Uh, In anybody's politics, you're in trouble. But in Russia, being weak really uh, is a no-no. And uh, it's very hard once you've been there in the public mind uh, to climb back. And don't forget what I said at the outset. This is a guy who promised security and stability. Stability and security. Uh, You know, the Ukrainians cleverly have been whacking Russian Dacha country north of Moscow with drones. They've been hitting towns in Russia near the Ukrainian uh, frontier. Uh, uh, Russians are, are, you know, are feeling nervous, and and most of all, I think increasingly, they're going to start to feel deceived. And you know, uh, who knows what'll happen? He doesn't have the opportunity, you know, to to clamp down much more because he's already recreated a police state. I mean, what more can he do? to suppress public opinion. So it uh, doesn't look good for him.
0: We are following it very closely, to say the least, along with the rest of the world. Jeremy, thank you for coming on with your thoughts and analysis today. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, Mike. Okay, we continue talking about the dramatic events in Russia over the weekend, this short-lived rebellion by mercenary commander Yevgeny Prigozhin. Got Melinda Herring standing by to discuss. Have a listen to U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken speaking yesterday.
1: Here's what he had to say. Sixteen months ago, uh, Russian forces were on the doorstep of, uh, of Kiev, Ukraine, thinking they were going to take the city in a matter of days, erase the country from the map now uh, they had to be focused on defending Moscow, Russia's capital, against mercenaries of Putin's own making. Okay,
0: let's discuss the situation now with my guest Melinda Herring. Melinda is a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, and I'm very pleased to welcome Melinda back to the show. Melinda, thank you for coming on today. Great to be with you, Mike. It's great to have you back, and and listening to Antony Blinken there talk about that sort of juxtaposition, the contrast from the beginning of the war to now... Putin at least being worried about having to fight a rearguard action there. What did you think about the whole the, the series of events that we saw unfold on the weekend? What went through your mind?
5: So it's a really big deal. Vladimir Putin has been in power since the end of 1999. And this is probably the most significant threat to his power. This is an obvious point. Everyone's made it. But Putin is very, very weak. The rebellion has been put down. But the question is, who's going to challenge him next? We haven't seen much of him as well over the last couple of days. The one time we saw him, it was not the Putin that we have known uh, to expect on TV. He was rattled, Mike. And Putin is often not rattled or emotional.
0: Yeah. And when he's rattled like that and weakened, uh, embarrassed, humiliated, what kind of impact does that have on on his grip on power? I don't think, have we still heard, have we heard anything from from putin at all since all this happened
5: yes he gave an angry speech over the weekend and yeah. he talked about the, the need to punish the, one of the, i mean there's a lot of interesting pieces we don't know where Prigozhin is his press office has said i'll get back to you thanks for calling i'll, I'll call you when i have better huh. reception he is supposed to be on his way to belarus but the belarusian authorities ha- cannot confirm that he's there so th- this is an evolving story. He is popular. He's very popular uh, in Russia. And, you know, we a lot of people have made a big deal out of when Prigozhin left Rostov. It's this town in, in, in Russia where he, he took over. The Russians were cheering. And it, it, we don't know what that means yet. We don't know. So Prigozhin once... Russia he wants the state to push even harder than Putin has to really hammer home the Ukrainians. So we don't know if Prigozhin was being praised by the Russian people because he was speaking truth to power and saying that Putin is insincere and that his claims uh to take Russia into war are false or if people really if Russians really want to turn the heat up on Ukraine. I think that's an open question.
0: Speaking of Ukraine and the war there, what kind of impact do you think this could have on on the conflict there? Is this an opportunity for Ukraine to ca- launch a, a counter counteroffensive?
5: So Ukraine has launched a counteroffensive and the counteroffensive is going slowly, and the reason why it's going slowly is that there are serious Russian defensive fortifications in the four different oblasts that Ukraine is trying to retake. And Mike, some of the the, the defensive fortifications are uh, less impressive. So up in the north, they're they're thinner. Down in Zaporizhia, which is where most experts expect the Ukrainians to try to retake, because it's central to to breaking that land bridge and trying to to, uh, to retake Crimea. Uh, it has three lines of fortifications and it's very heavily mined. So it's very slow going. Now. Does this mess over the weekend, this coup attempt by Prigozhin, impact the counteroffensive? No, not really. The the, the coup is is done. I was watching to see if Russia was going to move its forces from the front lines back into Russia proper. Uh, and what I heard over the weekend is they were starting to move them. The Russian side was. But I, I, th- I, I think it's game over now. You know, the Russians are nervous about what this means. But to get to the, the, the heart of it, though, we don't see Russian elites condemning Putin. They're still on his side. So watch the russian elite watch the russian uh national guard as well he is weakened we don't know someone is going to challenge putin again we don't know who it will be yeah.
0: just have a minute left here melinda this all happens at the same time that a crucial nato summit is coming up next month in vilnius what will be the impact of these events on that those nato meetings do you think we got a minute here
5: So next month, big decision. The question is, does Ukraine belong in the West or does it belong in this murky gray zone? Is it going to have to fight for itself or will we formally give it uh, Article 5 guarantees? And this is uh, what that would mean is if Ukraine were attacked, the West would come to its aid. Now, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has said, I I don't expect NATO membership while we're at war. I, I don't expect the West to stick its neck out like that. But what Ukraine wants is an invitation to join NATO when when the war is over. And, Mike, this is a big deal. We've seen France flip. France supports it. The Baltic states support it. Poland supports it. The United Kingdom supports it. And all eyes are on Joe Biden. What Biden does, the Germans will follow.
0: Okay. well, we're watching it closely, too, along with everyone else. Melinda, thank you for your thoughts and analysis today. I appreciate it.
5: My pleasure. Thank you. Take care.
0: right let's talk about noisy neighbors now and the langley couple who fought back against their neighbors high-end high volume stereo system this was driving them absolutely up the wall the neighbor would not turn the music down they tried to work it out They ended up fighting back. Got Wendy Wall standing by to discuss. First, let's have a listen to this report here. Global news reporter, Aaron MacArthur. And this is the story of Michael and Rookshila Levelton in Langley. Have a listen.
2: When it happens multiple times a week, every week. For hours. (laughs) For hours, it
6: kind of, it messes with your head a bit.
1: The Leveltons used to live in this townhome complex. They tried dealing with the noise complaint civilly with their neighbor on a one-to-one basis, but he wouldn't turn the knob down, claiming it was a high-end stereo. Left to their own devices, they took their neighbor to court, presenting as evidence documentation of each noise complaint, each text message asking him to turn it down, including one from the neighbor which said, I can't do anything to be honest. You and all other neighbors have to get used to this system. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, you and the neighbors will will just have to get used to it. You know, the neighbor was basically saying, look, I spent a fortune on this sound system. It's a high decibel system, and this, it's meant to be played loud. Then you'll you'll just have to get used to it. Not going to turn it down. Now, this story did have a happy ending here for the couple. They ended up in front of the Civil Resolution Tribunal which ruled in their favor, and there was a judgment there in their favor. Let's discuss now with Wendy Wall. Wendy is the president of the Vancouver Island Strata Owners Association. Very pleased to welcome her back. Wendy, thank you very much for coming on today.
4: Good morning, Mike.
0: Okay, this is an interesting, uh, an interesting case here, and I think a, a lot of people can probably, can probably relate. I mean, if people have had a noisy, a noisy neighbor... And I remember once living in an apartment building, and I had a neighbor who played the stereo loud on occasion. And I remember just kind of going over and knocking on the door and you know, can you turn it down a little bit? And we worked it out. You know, it was like good neighbor policy, right? Is that, is that the way you would, Wendy? I mean, you must get a lot, you must hear a lot of these stories. Like, how do you encourage people to work this out if you have a noisy neighbor? Well, it's
4: certainly something that we've all experienced. You know whether it was our our siblings in the next door bedroom when growing up, or whether you yeah. live in a house and and the house for it houses down has such a loud party in the backyard, everyone hears it. It's it's a common theme, but it's worse, of course, when you're sharing a common wall or a common ceiling. You know, you, you, as in this case, they felt the vibrations, which which is significant, uh, and and it is very very difficult. It, it does wear on you. And when it comes to to neighbors, I would say they they did the first thing, the right thing initially. Because what I've found is that the sound within your own unit, when you're doing whatever you're doing, you think it sounds reasonable. You don't actually know what it sounds like from another unit. And this can be anything from dropping the remote or dropping your keys to using a Roomba, for example, you know, you think that it sounds like just a, a little noise vacuuming your place, but to the person below, <laughs> it, it can sound quite loud. The same thing with, with pets. Their little toenails on the floor doesn't seem like that big of a deal for you. But for down below, it, it's almost like it, it echoes and grows. Um, and so part of it is, is, like you said, knocking on that door, having that initial conversation, and just letting them know because sometimes people simply don't know that it's it's that bad. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think those are great points. And especially when you're, you know, you got to try and work things out. And this couple says they did like they went next door. This was in a strata building. This was in a a townhouse development and they went next door and said, look, can you just turn it down? And the neighbor would, would not cooperate. The neighbor just said, no, I'm going to continue to play this music. Now this. This ended up in front of the BC Civil Resolution Tribunal. And this couple, they won. They actually won a judgment here against their neighbor. The neighbor was ordered to pay a penalty here of three thousand five hundred dollars. So thirty five hundred bucks was what the noisy neighbor was ordered to pay. Let's listen to uh let's listen to Michael and Rookshella Levelton here briefly and how they reacted to winning that judgment. Let's listen.
5: felt really good, I think, for us. It like, I think that was the most important thing, is that, just that, the
2: win, just that we won, not necessarily the amount.
4: Know your rights, it, and especially in a strata situation, it's very difficult.
0: Yeah, so he said it felt really good to win this judgment. He said the money really wasn't the point. I guess it was just the point of winning. They've since moved out of that unit. Which I guess they're happy to be away from there. But you also heard, you also heard Roxella say there, Wendy, that know your rights. So this is these are complex rules, regulations, laws. You should know your rights. You, I'm sure you would agree with that. You should know your rights as a strata owner or tenant, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And in in this case, they brought a small claim to the CRT, yeah. not a strata dispute. So there's two there's two ways there. They did try to go through the strata process reading through the decision i can see that they made complaints to their council and it sounds like maybe the council didn't uh, r- respond right away but when they realized how bad it was they did start the process but it's a long process because you're giving uh you know the noisy neighbor notice of the complaint a chance to have a hearing uh then there's you know a meeting of council to decide are we going to find and one of the difficult things in strata is is the council really only has the ultimate uh, power to fine. You know, they go through the whole process. If they do it right, they're allowed to fine. But if you have a difficult neighbor who simply doesn't want to turn down their stereo and they don't care about the fines, you know, the fines are really just about encouraging a change in behavior, correcting a behavior. But there are some people who continue. And and at that point, the council doesn't have a lot of power. So it looks like in this case, the, the couple decided, let's do something else. And in this case, they sort of left the strata law behind and went with a small claim, which is a claim of nuisance. And the, I mean, that right. could be nuisance for anything. You can have nuisance between two people who live in houses who are neighbors. In this case, it just happened to be in a strata situation. Um, and you know, for them, they wanted damages, and you know, they got it.
0: Yeah, they they ended up winning thirty five hundred bucks, which I guess. I don't know. On the bigger scale of things, maybe a lot of, a lot of, not a lot of money. I don't know if they had to hire a lawyer, or how much they spent on lawyer's fees, but they did win, they did win a judgment. And here's, let's listen to Lisa Mackey here. Lisa is a, a strata lawyer and you'll hear her make the point about what your rights are. Okay. What, what are your rights with a, when you have a noisy neighbor? Let's listen.
5: You have a right to quiet enjoyment of your space, to use and enjoy your property free from significant interference. Um strata corporations by way of their strata councils, landlords if you're in a rental property, have an obligation to ensure that those rights are protected.
0: Okay, is that is that correct of your understanding of it, Wendy? Like you have a right to quiet enjoyment of your your unit, right? And if you don't, if that's being infringed, then that the strata association has some authority to step in. Is that correct?
4: Well, they do, but like I said, they, the only process they have is ultimately fines. And, and yeah. Lisa's absolutely right. Um, you know, noise, noise is subjective, and the law of nuisance says that. So you can't have an unreasonable interference with a person's use and enjoyment. So that doesn't mean that every single noise that happens uh, is unreasonable, Uh, And in this particular case, it sounds like the couple had very... They took very good um, records. They documented everything. They uh, recorded things. They recorded decibels. You know, it it sounds like they were very organized and they built their case and they had a lot of evidence. There's many cases where people don't do that. And so, you know, they haven't proven that something's unreasonable. Um, But there's plenty. Like, if people want to go uh, to... Canley, which is a, a legal site that has court decisions, or if they go to the CRT's website to read decisions, and they just search noise, strata plus noise, something like that. They'll read lots of these cases. And there are others, other cases, just like this one, where people decided not to take the strata route. They decided to take the small claims route and claim damages. So there are other cases like this that have had a similar outcome uh, where the people have gotten uh, a few thousand dollars in damages. So again, it just really depends how bad is the noise and and how well can you prove your case?
0: Let's go to the movies now. I got Kurt Smakel standing by to discuss and taking a look at some of the big summer blockbusters that are coming up. You got the new Indiana Jones movie coming out, you know, I guess uh, Harrison Ford's gone back to the well here maybe one time too often, but I don't know. I still like him. I'm looking forward to that. This Oppenheimer movie looks really cool. I'm looking forward to that one, too. Now, here's the question, though. The comic book movies, okay, so the Marvel movies, the DC movies, uh, these things continue to rack up huge dollars and huge hits and money. These Marvel movies. Taking a look at some of the biggest movies of the year so far, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy right up there, number two. Spider-Man Across the Universe, acro- uh, ac- Across the Spider Verse. Um, that was a well-received movie. Uh, that was a hit. Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, did pretty well. Here's the thing, though: Have these comic book movies sort of worn out their welcome? Have they jumped the shark? Like, are are they are they just drowning out other movies? I kind of think they have. I've sort of stopped going to these movies, stopped enjoying them. And I was a comic book nerd. I was a guy who collected Marvel comics. But I've got to tell you, though I've gotten a little sick and tired of these movies. I'm, I'm interested in Kurt's take on that. Let's have a listen to Quentin Tarantino in here now. Now, these are the comments that really sort of started this argument here about these superhero movies. These comic book movies are... Are they kind of wrecking Hollywood? Quent, listen to director Quentin Tarantino here.
1: My only axe to grind against them is they're the only things that seem to be made, making, yeah. and they're the only things that seem to generate any kind of excitement right. amongst the fan base, or just, or even like uh, for the studio making them. Mm-hmm. All right, that's that's what they're excited about. True, and uh, you know, so it's just the fact that they are the entire representation of yeah. this era of movies right now. Right and there's not really much room for for anything else.
0: Okay, Martin Scorsese, the famous director, also weighed in on this and, and criticized some of these movies. I'll play that for you in a minute. Let's check in with Kurt Smakel now. Kurt is a, a movie critic and podcast host. I recommend his podcast, Three Angry Nerds, and you can find that online, threeangrynerds.com is his website. Hey, Kurt, thanks for coming
6: on. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me.
0: Okay, I'm really interested in your thoughts on this because, w- well, I mean, what do you think of these comic book movies? Do you think they've, they've sort of had their time or they've worn out their welcome? I mean, they still, they still generate a lot of money, though, right?
6: I think they're definitely getting a little bit more inconsistent than they used to. There are still some movies like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse that still generate good buzz and a lot of critical acclaim, but it's not like it used to be. It's not like, I would say, around the time of maybe uh marvel's phase two or three where they had a very consistent flow of entertaining movies and maybe they weren't all you know top tier hits or maybe your favorite movies but at least they were more consistently entertaining than they have been lately and you're starting to see that in the box office as well where people are starting to uh drop off on seeing these movies i mean the flash saw a 73 percent drop in its box office from its opening weekend to this past weekend so People are, you know, maybe not quite feeling that excitement like they used to.
0: Do you still go to these films, like when they come out, the big ones?
6: I mean, I am obligated to just for work, but uh, otherwise (laughs) I would maybe uh, not so much. But yeah, I mean, I feel like these movies are, they just, uh, some of them generate the buzz. Like I was really excited for Across the Spider-Verse and I went to the screen for that one and it was just buzzing. People were wearing outfits, people were cheering. It was a great time. Uh, But they're not always like that. I mean, I went to see The Flash, and there was nobody dressed up. Nobody was getting excited. It was a very quiet theater. So, yeah, again, very inconsistent nowadays in terms of which one of these movies is generating excitement. It used to be a lot more consistent, but arguably less so much nowadays.
0: We've had some debates about this at our home because... I stopped going to the Avengers movies because I just, I just didn't really care about them anymore. I didn't really care about the story anymore. My wife and kids, though, still love them. So they went to all the Avengers movies and would come home and talk about them for days. And I was just, I was just zoning out. We went to see a few years ago the movie, uh, Batman versus Superman. And I, I literally fell asleep. In the theater during that during that film, but let's listen to another clip of Quentin Tarantino here, the great director, and what he calls the marvelization of Hollywood. then I'll get your thoughts let's listen.
1: part of the marvelization of Hollywood is you have all these actors who have become famous playing these, these parts, characters yeah. Yeah. but they're not movie stars. Captain America is the star right Thor is the star. Uh, I mean, I'm not the first person to say that. I think that's been said a zillion times, you know, but it's like, you know, it's the, these franchise characters that become, become a star. Okay, that's an
0: interesting take, I thought, Kurt. He's saying that these actors are not stars, it's the characters. Now, there was some pushback against Quentin Tarantino for him saying that, notably Samuel L. Jackson, right, who played a, uh, who played a part in the, in the Marvel movies. He pushed back on that and said, no, these are great, these are great, uh, great actors and And people love these, love these actors and love these, love these stories and stars. What do you think of that take? That it's not, it's not the movie is, it's not the star, the actor has become the star now, it's the character is a star.
6: I kind of fall a little bit in between. I mean, in my opinion, at least, I do think that certain people will latch on to certain roles because it's a character they like, or it's from a comic book they like, and they kind of look a little bit past the actor. But On the flip side of that, too, I mean, there have been actors that have come onto those roles and have really redefined those roles beyond what they would in the comic book. I mean, before Robert Downey Jr. became Iron Man, Iron Man was not a household name. He was not a a big name character. Uh, And that's also backfired, too. I mean, Marvel cast um, Brie Larson as Carol Danvers, and she brought with her a ton of controversy that's kind of backfired a little bit on the character and has kind of made the character a little soured in some people's opinions, too. So it works both ways. But I definitely think there is some element of those actors still kind of bring something to the role, both good or bad.
0: Yeah. Let's listen to another one of the great directors here, Martin Scorsese here. And here he is talking about the Marvel movies, and he takes a little crack at them here, too. Let's listen.
1: Problem is um, the uh, Amusement Park films. I was saying this in New York and uh, people were saying, well, you know, you don't like those films. You don't like them. First of all, I haven't seen many. I tried to, but I, I wasn't interested. Uh, the thing about it is that they seem to be creating, it's another form.
3: Mm.
1: It's another form. And their theaters were almost like amusement parks in a sense. So these films now, I think, are more like theme rides in a way.
0: I thought that was interesting too. He said they're not really like a traditional Hollywood movie. They're so loaded with the with the special effects that they're more like a a theme park ride. It's More like going to a Disneyland and going on a on a big new ride. Do, are you buying that comparison Kurt or that take?
6: I mean, uh not even so much the CGI, but I think those movies definitely sort of like a roller coaster kind of ebb and flow. I mean, you have moments in those movies that are very big, bombastic scenes that people will Uh, post on Twitter out of context and, uh, you know, say it's their favorite scene out of the movie. Uh, And those scenes are definitely there to draw people into the theaters and whatnot. And I think in that sense, it's a roller coaster where, yeah, you have some scenes which are more dramatic scenes or more exposition scenes. They're not nearly as exciting, but, you know, you have scenes like battle sequences or fight sequences that end up being arguably way way more exciting for people. And I think it definitely draws people into those movies in a way that, you know, something like a Martin Scorsese film is not going to have a big battle sequence with 300 aliens running around. So I I can see where he's getting at. Uh, And yeah, I mean, if you're comparing what he makes and a lot of other people make, they're not quite the same kind of movies, but uh, you know, there's still some value in that kind of film, but uh, I think there's definitely been a lot more of those type of movies where movies are really pushing to have those scenes and really drawing people in and maybe at the detriment of a good story.
0: Okay, the summer blockbuster season approaching here. Kurt, what films do you see on the release list here coming up are you most excited about here right now?
6: I think uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is going to really surprise a lot of people. I mean, Togba Maverick came out last year and cleaned up at the box office for months to come. And, uh, yeah, Tom Cruise is back this year, uh, this time with Mission Impossible. It is Part 1 of a two-parter, so we'll see how that goes fairs in terms of the box office, but I mean, considering that Tom Cruise still does all of his uh, stunts himself, I think uh, that's going to make for a really exciting film.
0: Okay, how about Harrison Ford going back to the well here again with with, with another another uh, run as Indiana yeah. Jones? What do you think, too much?
6: I, I personally have heard not great things about it. I still haven't yeah. seen it myself, but I've heard that yeah, they may be, they may be you know, touch on some things or maybe delve into some themes a little too hard that you know some people some fans of the franchise might not enjoy but yeah i'm still waiting to see it myself but yeah i haven't heard the greatest of things and i don't just i just generally don't sense that big level of excitement i mean we have an indiana jones movie coming out on friday i don't feel the excitement in the streets that people are really wanting to go see this movie like they otherwise should be
0: hey kurt thanks for coming on today appreciate it thanks for having me